was Black Throated Wind. And now one of the lyrics in that song, Black Throated Wind, you're going to be able to see one of those lyrics on the cover of a book. The title is a line from Black Throated Wind, which he wrote with, with Weir. And I think actually that, you know, you know, actually that's the first line of poetry he wrote that became a song lyric. You know, I'm lost from the light. Oh, Mother American Night, I'm drowning in you. Oh, Mother American Night, I'm lost from the light. Oh, I'm drowning in There's a new memoir out about John Perry Barlow. Who is John Perry Barlow, you might ask? Well, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you're wondering, because here is your answer. Hold on tight. He was raised on a 25,000-acre cattle ranch in Wyoming. The county in which he was born was created by his grandfather, steeped in Republican Party politics from both parents, went to Wesleyan, where he studied with all of the leading intellectual lights of that moment in time, and it was rampant 60s. He was a coke dealer in New York in Spanish Harlem on a motorcycle with a gun. He hung out with Andy Warhol at the factory when that place was at its, you know, artistic and social peak. He returned to the ranch and was a cowboy. John Perry Barlow wrote the lyrics to 30 Grateful Dead songs. He also wrote songs with Brent Midland, some really good songs. Was the first person to use the word cyberspace. John was the first one to use it to describe that community that he found on the internet. Founded the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which was the first group organization to fight for freedom of speech. Declaration of Independence for Cyberspace is considered a classic declaration of the fact that this is a free and open exchange of ideas founded the Freedom of the Press Foundation. He brought China on the internet. John was over there and met the minister of the internet there and then came back to Washington. There was no one that John didn't know. He was best friends with John F. Kennedy Jr. He managed Dick Cheney's campaign for Congress from the state of Wyoming. He formed the Conservation Council in Wyoming. He was an ardent conservationist. His stories about the Grateful Dead House, 710 Ashbury, his story Stories about Neil Cassidy, hanging out with Neil in that house, his stories about Owsley, his trip to India, uh, smuggling stuff back from India. I don't know if I've ever encountered a mind like this. Named one of the top 10 financial advisors in the world by Future Banker magazine because he was the only guy who knew anything about tech stocks. Got up at four in the morning to pull calves out of mother cows and, you know, I couldn't do too much with Cheney. It was haying season. Hello? Okay. I mean, this guy was an expert on nuclear defense policy. He was also a poet. I left that out. He used to do poetry reading. You know, it says in the book, took over a thousand acid trips. Leary used to introduce John as the most American person he'd ever known. Talked about smoking toad venom with Mountain Girl at the end of Burning Man. Certainly didn't care for the Republican Party at the end. Carried a gun frequently, was raised a Republican, and they called John to have Jerry Garcia come plant a tree with the first president bush and the reason they called john was a republican who knows jerry garcia the guy who who delivered 20 or 25 ted and tedx i mean that's fairly serious you know actually (laughs) actually john's service was at the fillmore pretty great right i mean perfect the only one the one and only john barlow The one and only John Barlow. Hopefully you caught all of that, you know. Uh, I could play it for you again if you want me to. All right, let's uh, slow things down just a notch or two, and let's uh, get into who we're going to be talking with for this week's program of Dead Air. 
I am Robert Greenfield, and uh, the name of the book is Mother American Night, My Life in Crazy Times by John Perry Barlow with Robert Greenfield. This week's program, we are going to be talking with Robert Greenfield. The man has uh, came out with some phenomenal books. STP, A Journey Through America with the Rolling Stones. Bill Graham presents My Life Inside Rock and Out, Dark Star, an oral biography of Jerry Garcia. Timothy Leary, a biography, Exile on Main Street, A Season in Hell with the Rolling Stones. The Last Sultan, The Life and Times of Ahmet Erdogan. You have Bear, The Life and Times of Augustus Owsley Stanley. And and then uh, his memoir, Ain't It Time We Said Goodbye, The Rolling Stones on the Road to Exile. That's a memoir of him on the road with the Rolling Stones, UK tour, 1971. And most recently, he helped out John Perry Barlow with his memoir. Now let's get back into, uh, well, we know the title, American Mother Night. Greenfield describes the book a little bit more in detail. On the cover, for those who can't see it, I'm holding it up right now. That's a joke. Uh, he's wrapped in an American flag, and he's holding, you know, a laptop. And this is a book about America, if I can say, about America as it was, as America, America as John wanted it to become. And in terms of the way America is now, hey, yo, check it out. This is still America. Now that we know what the cover looks like, let's flip it over. The blurbs on the back are insane. The first blurb is Edward Snowden. The second blurb is Daniel Ellsberg. The third or fourth blurb is Sean Ono Lennon. What do those people have in common? John Perry Barlow, right? Something else that's on the back, it says the book is like sitting next to Barlow in a car going 100 miles an hour in the middle of the night and Barlow is telling you incredible story after another, which are entirely true. So let's go for a ride. A trip of major proportions, they get to hear a voice that I consider to be unique in American literature. I don't think anyone else has ever written or spoken or lived the way that John Perry Barlow did. And uh, right from page one, uh, the greatest compliment I've gotten is, you know, John's not with us anymore, but people who read it, who knew him, say to me, Bob, you can just, you know, I can hear him. He's on the page. Robert started talking with Barlow when he was writing Dark Star, an oral biography of Jerry Garcia back in 97. John was incredible. I mean... What he said to me about Jerry then was amazing. The next time Robert worked with Barlow was in 06 for his biography on Timothy Leary. The stuff he said about Leary was just like, you know, off the hook. Greenfield got to work with Barlow again 10 years later, working on the biography for Bear, the creator of the Dancing Bear logo and designer of the Wall of Sound, for the Grateful Dead, Owsley Stanley, also the first private individual to manufacture mass quantities of LSD. You know, each time he was the most, the single most brilliant speaker. Now, Greenfield is an expert on the 1960s. He's lived through them, and he has heard all of the stories. However, when it comes to Barlow, it's not even uh, all the stories in a different book. It's like John Perry Barlow is a completely different library. John's stuff about the 60s, these are the most extreme, the craziness of that time. No one's ever painted a portrait of that era as the way it really was. After the many projects Greenfield and Barlow did together, it was time to team up for another memoir. This time, it would be Barlow's story. And so about two and a half, three years ago, kind of, 
I went to him, you know, I got in touch with him, and I pitched him. I, I knew that he had, by that point, uh, had been dead for eight minutes. His heart had stopped, and they'd brought him back. Barlow was facing some serious health issues. Greenfield went to San Francisco, sat down with Barlow, and started working together. Robert says it was difficult to work with Barlow because he was close to the end of his life. John was not well. Um, I would estimate in the two years that I spent working with him, uh, he was taken into ICU, not ER, in ICU five, six, seven times. And when he was out, and I was there were weeks on end when he was he was in terrible pain. Plus, he was still living a very wild lifestyle. I'm too old to be name dropping. I did live with Keith Richards for several weeks in the south of France at Villa Nelcut. I had never seen a scene like the one going on in John's house since I had been with Keith. 24-7, hot and cold running human beings, door was always open, party nonstop. This is with John and basically really, you know, tough shape. He loved it, man. He loved the chaos. I mean, we would, I was talking to him five and six days a week, okay, for two years. I would get on the phone with John and I'd say, John, who else is on the phone with us today? And it was always somebody different, most of whom were women who he liked or were passing through. And, you know, when Weir was coming over at midnight to write songs with, with John and Ramblin' Jack Elliott, and it was just nonstop. And so the combination of those factors, you know, and he was on a lot of pain medication at times, made it really, really hard. But the stuff was so brilliant. <laughs> Once they started working together, Robert could see John's genius and big heart. Greenfield points out that when most people have the big brain and the big mind, they don't have the big heart. John Barlow definitely had the big heart. Usually these guys, these men, these women who are so, you know, uh, extraordinary are invested almost solely in themselves. What I think is remarkable about the book is, and I often said to him, this is like Gurdjieff's meetings with remarkable men. It's the chapter in which John talks about Jerry Garcia. It's the chapters in which John talks about Timothy Leary. It's the chapter in which John talks about Steve Jobs and John F. Kennedy Jr. And throughout the book, the way he talks about Bob Weir, his oldest, dearest, and closest friend, you know. I mean, he paints portraits of people in a way that no one ever has because he knew them in a way that no one else ever did. And... And, you know, I find that really rare and extraordinary. A few of the reviews about the book have mentioned that the book could have been extended or made twice as long. Keeping the chapters and the right stories in the book was definitely a hurdle. The editor, who Greenfield said was the best editor that he's ever worked with, was Kevin Downton at Crown Archetype. And he definitely had his hands full. His brilliance was seeing the through line and staying... because. God love John, you know, he, he could talk about anything brilliantly. And a lot of it didn't lead to the next chapter. It didn't keep you invested in the life. This is not particularly John Barlow's greatest hits, but the action in this, the direction in this, this is all there. 
Not only is it all there, but it's the truth. Barlow's life in crazy times is sometimes kind of hard to believe. Greenfield, he went out of his way to fact-check these stories and even the extreme ones. I said, John, was this your karma? And he said, no, it was my charma. I mean, he, he was one of the most astonishingly charming human beings that ever lived. He was brilliant, you know. And basically, he just kept moving. J.P. Barlow's charma definitely runs throughout his memoir. This week on Dead Air, we are talking with Robert Greenfield. He helped out on John Perry Barlow's book, American Mother Night, My Life in Crazy Times. The book came out last month. You can get it at Amazon or all your standard bookstores. This is Dead Air. I'm Corey Daniels. Of course, a lot of ink in the book was dedicated to the songs that Barlow wrote. A lot of the stuff that he wrote with Weir, their process of working together, you know, like... Bobby sit there with a guitar, and John would have a yellow legal pad. And the astonishing, one of the other astonishing things about John was he did not play a musical instrument. And when he would hear the words, he also heard the melody. He would sing them to Bobby, and then Bobby would often rewrite them. And this would lead to the Weir Barlow movie that never ended. You know what do you mean you rewrote my song? You know. But that's a very weird thing. I've, you know, worked with musicians and songwriters my whole life. Guys hear music. Guys who can play music hear music. But the fact that John could hear both is really interesting. And, you know, I mean, the list of songs is just, you know, that's a lot of songs, 30 songs. Another kick that I got out of the book was the humor. I agree with Greenfield. The funniest stuff that was in the book was when Barlow was talking about Bob Weir. I said this to John more than once, and it never failed to make him laugh. I said, John, you and Bobby are the most dysfunctional buddy movie in show business, okay? The two of you are just out of your mind separately. (laughs) But together, I mean, you know, he, he shot him in the face on the night before his wedding, John did. Shot his best friend in the face, you know, like, didn't mean to, you know. I came to have new respect for Bobby. You know what I mean? Like, like, dude, we have survived working with Barlow. We're, you know, not many people could say that, you know. That's the voice of author Robert Greenfield. He helped John Perry Barlow write his book. It's his book. Not about the dead, but it's about John Perry Barlow. It's called Mother American Night, My Life in Crazy Times. The book was released last month. It's about John Perry Barlow, but... He wrote 30 songs for the dead, so it is a little bit about the Grateful Dead and his relationship with the band. It's definitely well covered. I don't think anybody loved the Deadheads more than John. His concern for them and his willingness to go out in a parking lot and wanting to observe them and be one of them, you know, I think is unique among people within the Grateful Dead inner circle. John Barlow is definitely in a unique spot with the band. Sometimes he described himself as an innie and an outie. He was in with the band, but he liked hanging out with the fans. Uh, when the spotlight was directed on him, he kind of found a safe place to hide out when he wanted to in the shadows. And that uh, hiding spot kind of led to his fascination with the Internet. He got up on the well, which is where the deadheads were back then, you know, the very early days of the Internet. And... You know, John came from this tiny town, which was outside the ranch, called Cora, Wyoming. One of John's kind of long-running obsessions was about community and what community is in America. And if you live in a small town, you, re- you know, as he said, 
community has to do with like sharing a common reality, but also running into the same people on a daily or almost daily basis, which really modifies the way you're going to treat them. You have to be cool in that kind of situation because they're not going anywhere and you're not going anywhere. Marlowe was a pioneer with the World Wide Web. He was one of the first guys to recognize the Internet as a community and the web needed to obey the rules of a community. For surfing the web, Barlow caught the wave and aimed to protect the waterfront. Barlow said that his greatest accomplishment of his life is the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the Freedom of the Press Foundation. He wanted to protect the people on the web. He was definitely the right guy for the gig because he understood how a community operated and he knew how a community operated by watching the Deadheads. John immediately gets that the Deadheads are like this new community and what they share is the dead and they move from town to town. But he go whenever he goes in a parking lot to talk to them or look at them or hang out with them, it takes about six minutes before they all know who he is. And now they're all asking him questions, and he doesn't want to be the focus. So that's how he goes up on the well. They're all talking. They're all posting. They're all, you know, arguing with one another about which song is the best, what show, or this lyric. Author Robert Greenfield documents in his book how Barlow was a traveler of many worlds. There were times when his worlds would collide. For instance, the Grateful Dead world and the World Wide Web. You can go to a whole bunch of internet sites and listen to Grateful Dead shows whether it's a soundboard recording, audience recordings, and of course there's the sites with message boards, chat rooms, and forums, all dedicated to the Grateful Dead. It should come to no surprise that the forefather of the internet and a strong member in the Grateful Dead family helped influence the idea of taping shows. He talked about how that totally, you know, shaped, reshaped the concept of copyright. John was fanatic about copyright and how it was restrictive unfair. You know, he worked with Gilberto Gil in Brazil. For those who don't know that name, he is Brazil's Minister of Culture. He's a free culture and free software advocate. He has strong visions for a digital culture built around the access of technology. He aims to loosen intellectual property regulations to give more people the freedom to use and republish digital forms of content as a way of encouraging personal expression, culture, and political participation. It all came from the fact that once the dead said, hey... You can tape our shows, you can share our shows on tape, but you can't sell them. It created more business for the dead, we talk about this, more income, more popularity, the most brilliant merchandising tool in the history of rock and roll. The dead never spent a dollar for this, and yet it brought them so much money. And John, who was also a businessman, he understood money and finance and business that's what he wanted to see happen throughout the internet he was a free market guy in the best sense it was mind-blowing to read how john perry barlow shaped and protected the growth of the internet now these principles were ingrained into him from fellow deadheads which were his first community. Through the help of the internet, Barlow noticed Grateful Dead fans could communicate and talk in ways that they couldn't by in-person conversations. Some fans would have never have been able to communicate with other fans if it wasn't for the internet. He only saw the internet as a community once he got into the Deadheads posting and communicating with one another. So for him, they were 
you know, the, the, the throughway, uh, you know, onto the Internet superhighway. Barlow was able to straddle these different communities by being an any and an Audi of the Grateful Dead. Like many times in his life, he could easily go from behind the scenes to in the spotlight and back again. At one point in a really, really bad time in the Grateful Dead, he exercised this ability to do that, and that caught the attention of Jerry Garcia. After Brent Midland's funeral, they were in the limo together, I guess going to the cemetery, and, you know, John said, you know... It's getting really, it's getting really dark around this. You know, it's getting really dark backstage. And you, you know what, Jerry? I, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to go out front for a while. And Jerry said, "Don't you think I would do that if I could?" What he meant was be out in the front with the fans in the hall, the parking lot, being a part of society. Barlow was a master at doing this, going into the background and into the foreground. Greenfield talks about his time out on the road and how it could be a bum experience. You get to a certain point in your head where, you know, you'd rather shoot yourself than be in the house. You have to be in the dressing room. You have to have the protection. You have to have whatever food is being served. You you know, there are people who have been on these tours who have never ventured out into the hall. That's like another world, man. But John didn't, you know, John John could pass through multiple worlds. He, he had like, he, he had his own special passport. with Robert Greenfield for this week's program of Dead Air. We get into Grateful Dead recordings and dive deeper into the world of the Grateful Dead. Greenfield's book gets your flight booked to travel to the world of John Perry Barlow. His memoir is American Mother Night, My Life in Crazy Times. It's by John Perry Barlow and Robert Greenfield. Going back to the Brent Midland reference, I noticed how Bob Weir, a childhood friend of John's, would be a constant in the life of Barlow, but there was a lot of of ink dedicated to John's relationship with Brent. You got it. You know, you're exactly right. He never had a deeper connection with anybody when they were writing. And John would start telling him the lyrics, and he said Brent's eyes were huge. They'd be, he was so into what, John, what he and John were doing. You know, and he also says it wasn't like Brent was like a, you know, scholarly, well-read guy. He wasn't like Garcia, you know. But their connection was so deep. Uh, what is it? I'll bring you home. I'll take you home, and just a little light. And these are really heart songs. They're really moving. And they wrote that one, but you know, about their daughters. About and Brent never lived to do that. <laughs> 